You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. How many fixer-uppers do we have in the building? Like people who are good with their hands. If something breaks, you can... Okay, I know there are some of you that actually are good. You're not raising your hand right now because you're like, I don't know if you're going to recruit me for something. Okay. The only reason I wanted you to raise your hands, I want you to know that I'm now, I am now a part of your club. Okay? Thank you. Um, some of you are doubters. You know that I'm notorious for being the kind of guy that just when I go to lay laminate, I end up in the ER. Um, you know, like that's me. Usually if I try to fix something, I make it worse. But listen, this happened this past week, and glory to God, it has nothing to do with me. Um, but um, our our... Our, our pipes underneath our sink begin to leak, and, and we couldn't get people to fix them. Uh, several people tried, and they'd start leaking again. And so this past week, I said, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. So I went to Lowe's. I got a part. I came back. I disassembled the pipes by myself. I then reassembled them with this new part, and now I have a fully functioning sink as a result of that. Um, pretty, thank you. Seriously. Um, if we're just going to celebrate, let's celebrate God's you know, goodness and, and power through me. So um, it's a big deal because if you know me and my, my awesome mom's here today and my dad was here, but now he has to go preach. If you saw the guy in the suit and tie, that's my dad. And so that's why I put my jacket on, but he's gone. And so, um, and so I need to... <laughs> Never had anybody yell, take it off from the Sam I'm preaching before. Um, Randy Rogers. And so, um, thank you for your work behind the scenes, by the way. Anyway, 30 minutes is all I've got. So, um, I grew up in a house, and my, our philosophy basically was, or my dad basically kind of had this philosophy of, hey, if there's someone that's good enough to get paid to do it, we should probably just pay them to do it, right? If there's someone who's considered a professional, they've gone to school to learn how to do plumbing or electrical work or to build this or build that, we should probably just pay them to do it rather than, than us doing it. Some of you, you grew up in a, in a home where you kind of had a similar philosophy, right? It's this idea that if you need to get your oil changed or something fixed in your car, where do you go? You go to a mechanic, right? If you need to get your taxes done, you don't do them yourself. You go to a, a CPA, right? You go to an accountant, right? If, 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 if you need to, um, you know, have your computer fixed, you don't try to work on it yourself. You call Apple or you go to the Geek Squad, squad or, or whatever. And here's what I want you to understand is though... That works when it comes to things like cars and computers. It is absolutely detrimental when it comes to your faith. And here's what I mean by that. In the church today, there are some people who are perceived as the experts. Okay, there are those that we look at and we say, yeah, we're Christians, but like that person's a varsity Christian. That person, whether it be a pastor or a missional community leader, I mean, they went to school. I mean, they've, they've had like, you know, this fantastic mentor. They really know the word of God. They really know how to pray. They raise their hands during worship. They share their faith. And therefore, what happens if we are not careful is the same philosophy we use when it comes to cars and computers we will use when it comes to Christ. And what I mean by that is, is we will outsource our faith to someone else. We'll say, you know what, I'm not really sure how to read the Bible myself. No big deal. I'll just show up once a week and I'll hear the pastor preach out of the Bible. And then I'll be good to go. You know, I don't really know how to pray personally. My prayer life, I mean, it's, it's pretty stagnant. But you know what, as long as I show up and I kind of pray when the MC's praying or whenever the pastor says, you know, close your eyes and bow your head, then I'll pray. As long as I do that, like, then everything will be good. And though that may sound legit, what I want you to hear today is the problem with this thinking is in the end, if you outsource your faith, if in the end 
you only have a second-hand relationship with Jesus, you will actually miss out on the life God has created for you to experience. Some of you here this morning, you are bored out of your minds with Christianity. You're here, but you're just going through the emotions or through the motions. You're just kind of checking the box on your list. For some of you in here, sure, you know truths about God, and you might even tell other people about how great God is, but you personally have not experienced His greatness in a real, powerful, and personal way. For some of you here this morning, and maybe even many of you, it is true that though you know about Jesus, you do not know Jesus. For some of you, yes, you can quote Scripture. You can quote truths about God, but those truths about God are not explosively alive in your hearts. You've heard about God and what He can do with your ears through others, but you have not personally had your heart opened to this ultimate reality. And if that's where you are, I want you to know that on behalf of the leaders and the pastors of this church, our hope is that in the next year, the real Jesus will go from rumor to reality to each of you. That's our hope. That the real Jesus will go from rumor to reality to each of you. That he will go from, from being someone that you have a second-hand relationship with to experience in a first-hand relationship. And as a result, in the next year, you will experience His presence and His power like never before in a way that is absolutely undeniable to you and to everyone else that is around you. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth, look at this, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as what? As rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. The Apostle Paul just says, you know what? Whenever the real Jesus became real to me, you know what happened as a result? It's not that my life all of a sudden got easier. In fact, it got much harder. When the real Jesus became real to me, I lost my status, I lost my popularity, I lost my job, I lost my money, I lost my health, I lost my friends, I lost my safety and my comfort. But he says, you know what? I wouldn't change it for anything because Christ is better. He, he actually says in here that, that, that these other things compared to Christ are absolutely rubbish. Therefore, I want to give my life to knowing Jesus and making him known to others. Can you imagine today knowing Christ in this way? Can you imagine right now you knowing Jesus in such a way that you can say as Paul did in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death, bring it on. What can you do to me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine as Paul says in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content in all situations. It don't matter what the world throws at me. I'm content because I have Christ. Can you imagine like... Paul says in verse 10 and verse 14 of this same chapter, my whole life's aim is to know Christ and to make Him known to others. When the Apostle Paul met the real resurrected King Jesus, his life did not remain the same. It was changed. He had an insatiable thirst to know Jesus and make Him known. I wonder this morning, can the same be said of you? Can the same be said of you? Is it true of you that you sit here today and you're like, I can't get enough of Jesus? Or 
Are you content with just getting a second-hand experience on a Sunday morning event like this? If so, I'm not trying to just guilt you or shame you, but that may be a sign. It may be a sign that Jesus is still just a rumor to you, that he is not reality. It may be a sign that your relationship with him is a second-hand experience and not a first-hand relationship. I know that many of you are familiar with my testimony, and you know that I grew up in the church, was in a church service every single time that we had a church service, sick or not. Like I mean, it's like I feel like I was there. But it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I became a Christian. For my entire life, I was really disinterested with Jesus. Now, don't mistake me. I always liked the idea of Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. What's not to like about a guy who laid down his life so you can have life? I always like the idea of Jesus. Some of you know you like the idea of Jesus. But listen, liking the idea of Jesus is not the same as being a follower of Jesus. My gods were women. My gods were popularity. Those were the things I felt like could give me satisfaction, could give me joy. But it wasn't until I was 20 years old that Jesus broke into my life. He went from rumor to reality. And my mom, my brother, they were all here. They can vouch for this. They were there. My sister-in-law was there at this moment. And at that moment, whenever I met the real Jesus, I literally got up out of the floor and I went from worshiping a girl to worshiping God. I went from saying, man, I've got to have these friends. I've got to have this popularity. I've got to pursue this career and make this kind of money so I can live in this kind of place. To all of a sudden saying, you know what? All I need is Christ and I now have him. And therefore my heart was filled with joy. It was filled with peace. I'd never read a book in my life. How I made it through school, this I have no idea. I guess I cheated a lot. Never read a book in my life. Christ breaks in and I just begin to get an insatiable thirst to know Jesus more and to make him known. And so eventually I started a college ministry. I didn't even know that's what it was. I just didn't know any other college students who were Christians. And I wanted them to experience what I've experienced. It's the reason I started a college ministry. It's the reason we eventually started Fellowship Paragold. Do you know that as your pastors, listen, this is not just me. All the leaders would say the same thing. We primarily did not plant this church because we want to be known as some sort of innovative, like, cool, new way of doing church. It's not what we want to be known for. We don't want to be known as this innovative church or the young church. We don't, even want, to, we don't even want to be known as the missional community church. What we primarily want to be known for is a Jesus church. We want to be known as a people who are filled with individuals who love Jesus and want to know Jesus more, more than they want to know anything else, and they want to make him known to every man, woman, and child in the city, so that as a result, we literally see thousands of people in our time experience the forgiveness and the freedom and the fulfillment that they are longing for that is only found in Christ. I was reading about Jonathan Edwards this past week. Jonathan Edwards was a revivalist preacher, just a brilliant theologian back in the 1700s. Nothing like putting your life in perspective than reading a bunch about a bunch of old dead guys who are just went hard after God. And in this specific article, he was talking about revival. And I love Jonathan Edwards' definition of revival. He says, revival is an acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. Revival is an acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're asking God for in the next season of our life as a church. We're asking for God to do more in and through us in the next 10 to 15 years than it would take normally to do 110 to 115 years. Jonathan Edwards saw this many times in his life, and he accounts one of these episodes in, um, uh, it was in a city that happened, it was in a, a revival that took place in a city in 1741. Here's what he says, I'll put it on the screen for you. He said, it seemed like almost overnight the town changed unmistakably. 
Overcome either by their distress from sin or by the greatness of God, people talked about nothing but revival. Those yet untouched by the awakening pleaded for God to revive them. That means there was a spiritual jealousy among those who had not encountered God the way others were. They're like, man, I want what you have. Every day felt like Sunday, and everyone seemed to look forward to the Sunday meeting. Can you imagine if this took place in Paragold, Arkansas? Can you just imagine what it would look like for revival to break out in Paragold and Jonesboro and Powhatan and Rector and wherever else some of you are living? Can you imagine seeing this? Can you imagine seeing literally as a work of the Spirit through us, people being converted left and right? Can you imagine within the next two to three years, if every single one of you in here were actually able to come up and baptize somebody else as a result of Jesus in His Spirit working through you in the lives of others? Can you imagine what would happen if you came up here and you're baptizing your coworkers? You're baptizing people who, who are from your family who maybe are lost or from your friends, maybe even baptizing your enemies or your neighbors, right? Can you imagine as a result of the real Jesus being made known to every man, woman, and child in the city, the entire culture of this place being changed? I believe with complete conviction that this is not only possible, I believe it's what God actually desires. And that's why we planted this church. I don't know how many we have here this morning. Last week we had 290 people. 70 of those were kids. So let that be uh, a reminder that we need lots of helpers in the children's department. Um, so that means, if my math's right, 220 adults. I asked our missional communities last week how many people within their missional communities have been baptized as a result of being a part of Fellowship Paragold. The answer I got back was 31. 31. Now, please hear what I'm saying. I'm thankful for that 31. The Bible says that if even one repents, all of heaven rejoices. I saw one statistic from the Southern Baptist Convention this past week that said last year, 80% uh, of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention reported one or less adult baptisms. So we're thankful that we've baptized 31 adults in the first four years. But here's what I begin to think about. Do you realize, if my math is correct, that is a conversion rate of 11%. What that means is 89% of you were Christians before you ever came here. What that means then to me is that Fellowship Paragold has just been really good at attracting disenchanted Christians from other churches. Now, again, if you're a Christian, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Because some of you came here, and you came here for the right reasons to partner with us in the mission, we've been able to reach those. We've been able to see those who were not in a relationship with Christ come to know Christ. So don't hear me saying I'm not glad that you're here, but please hear me. Moving forward, I really don't get that excited about working week in and week out just in order to grow fellowship with already existing Christians. The reason we planted this church is to see God's kingdom grow with new converts. That is why we planted, and that is what we will continue to be praying for and laboring towards as a church. The question is, how are we going to experience that? How are we going to experience the real Jesus becoming real to us? How are we going to see the real Jesus go from rumor to reality in our city? Some of you, I know you hear this, and you're like, sure, that sounds great, but let's be honest, man. I mean, this ain't the 1700s. I mean, we're about to either elect... Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. I mean, can this really happen? Right? Maybe that's what you're thinking. 
You're looking at all the stats, and they all say that every church in the country is declining. You're seeing how the country is becoming more and more, especially for those of you that are older, you see it's becoming more and more and more secular and self-entitled and just dark. And you look and you're like, can this really happen? Right? How are we going to see revival take place in our day? How are we going to see the real Jesus become real to everyone in our city? Maybe you're asking that question right now and you're thinking, okay, does it better music? Is that what we need? We need better music? We need better preaching? Some of you are like, that wouldn't hurt. Do we need to start a wanna? Do we need to somehow hire a youth pastor and beef up our student ministry and aim for being the best student ministry the city has ever seen? What do we need to do? What would the answer, what would your answer be? What do we need to do in order to see revival take place in our time? You know what I think the answer is? If we're going to see revival, we're going to have to be a people who learn to repent. And when I talk about repentance... I don't mean beat yourself up over your sin. What I'm talking about is we need to see in each of us a change in our hearts and a change in our minds. We need to turn from one thing and we need to turn to another. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, and Martin Lloyd-Jones is a minister and preacher, was at Westminster Chapel in London back in the early and mid-1900s. Here's what he said. This has been so convicting to me this past week. Our, he says, we spend our lives in very busy activism. Instead of pausing to realize the possibilities, instead of realizing our own failure and realizing that we are not attracting anybody to Christ and that they probably see nothing in us that makes us desire to come to Him, the inevitable and constant preliminary to revival has always been a thirst for God. A thirst, a living thirst for a knowledge of the living God and a longing and a burning desire to see Him acting, manifesting Himself and His power rising and scattering His enemies. If we are going to see revival, the first thing that we need to repent of is we need to repent of what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls in here a busy activism. We need to repent of being so busy that it's impossible for us to have a first-hand relationship with Jesus. We need to repent of filling our schedules with so much stuff, thousands of things that the Apostle Paul actually says is rubbish compared to Christ. And when I say we, I really do mean we because I think I might need to repent of this more than anybody in the room today. It's so easy for me as a pastor to look at the things I do and say these are all such good things. It's so easy for me to say yes to this and yes to that and yes to all these things because it's, it's good stuff. And then I look at my schedule and it's always appointment after appointment after appointment. Always trying to equip another leader, counsel another couple, evaluate another part of our ministry, build a new structure to support the growth that we're having. And then I go home and we have mouths to feed. About to be a third baby, right? And so like we've got kids to take care of. I've got a yard to mow. I've got a sink to fix. All of that is good stuff, but the problem is I look at that sometimes and what I say is since I'm working for God, that's okay. But here's the problem, guys. There's a difference between working for God and actually being with God. God doesn't just want you to go do work for Him. God wants a relationship with you. And for me, I'm so busy trying to do work for God sometimes. And don't get me wrong, like I spend times in the Word and I pray, but I, I, I push through my life so quickly and I feel my schedule so much that I'm oftentimes just perplexed by why am I so exhausted? Why am I so irritable? Why am I so dry? 
And here's the answer. Because in the midst of doing all of this stuff with God, or for God, I neglect to even live with an awareness of God and His presence in my life. Even as a pastor, I'm tempted to do that. Every morning, I wake up, I read the Bible, I spend time in prayer, I do journal, but then the rest of my day, just push right through. Listen, guys, Jesus Christ says He is the living water. He will refresh you and he will energize you like nothing you have ever been able to be refreshed or energized by. But here's the problem. Some of you don't experience it. And you know why? Because if you think of your lives like a cup, Jesus is trying to pour into you and this is what you're doing. You're always moving. So you get a drip of Jesus here, a drop there. But you have, you have no idea what it's like to be filled up with the living water, with Jesus Christ. We have got to repent of that. Repent of being so stinking busy with stuff that, guys, honestly, in the end, is not really going to matter as much as Christ. We've got to learn to say no to things that are competing to, with time with Jesus no matter how important we think those things may be. And not only do we need to learn to say no to all the busyness, we need to learn to say yes to Jesus. It's not just enough to just sit still. We need to learn to pursue Christ, guys. We need to learn as a people how to reorient all of our lives around Him. Listen, we desperately, every single one of us in here, desperately need to learn how to open up our Bibles and read it. We need to learn how to actually turn our phones off or turn them over, put them aside, and to commune with God in solitude and silence. We need to learn how to talk to Him and and listen to Him. And and listen, over the next year, as pastors, as leaders, we're going to be more committed to this than ever before. That is is our promise to you. This week, we're going to kick off uh, Porterbrook. It's a a church-based theological education. It's the best theological education you can get in the church. Some of you have already decided to take advantage of that. If you still want to be a part of it, join in. Talk to Adam. He'll get you registered. Also this fall, we're going to kick off regular prayer meetings. We used to pray a lot as a church when there was just a few of us, and then it just got crazy, and more kids kept popping out. We're like, ah, you know, and so it's like, so, but you know what? We're not going to let that get in the way. How stupid to think we can do the work of God apart from the power of God. So we're going to kick back up regular prayer meetings. Starting in this January, we're going to start a Bible reading project together. Adam's going to teach a class for a few weeks for those that sign up for it on how to read the Bible. So you don't have to have that excuse anymore. I just don't know how. I read it and it's like nothing. I don't get anything out of it. We're going to start a 10-week series. We're going to go through Genesis and Revelation in 10 weeks. And it's going to be in correspondence with the missional community. I mean, we're going to do a whole bunch of stuff to try to give you opportunities to learn how to have a firsthand encounter with Jesus Christ on a regular basis. And just to be clear, we're not doing these things to say, hey, if you do them, God's going to love you more. But we are doing them because we're saying, if you will begin to pursue these, you'll experience the love of God more. You'll experience it more. Maybe some of you even for the first time and as a result of communion with Him, my hope is that we will more than ever be a people who walk filled with the Holy Spirit and others will look at your life and you know what? They'll actually be attracted to Christ because of how you live and how you speak. Can you imagine that? Charles Finney was a 19th century evangelist. And Henry Blackaby records about a time in his book, Experiencing God, about a time that he visited a factory in New York. It says, during a visit to New York in 1826, he, Charles Finney, visited a cotton manufacturing plant where his brother-in-law was a superintendent. 
As Finney passed through a spacious room in which women were working at looms and spinning jennies, I think we should bring that word back, by the way, spinning jennies, he noticed several young women watching him and speaking among themselves. As Finney approached them, he became more agitated, or they became more agitated. When Finney was about 10 feet away, one woman sank to the ground and burst into tears. Soon others were sobbing, overcome with conviction of their sin. This outpouring of the Spirit spread rapidly throughout the building until the entire factory was singularly aware of God's presence. The owner, an unbeliever, realized God was at work and temporarily closed the plant. He asked Finney to preach to his employees and tell how they might find peace for their souls. Finney had not even spoken a word to the laborers. He had simply entered the factory. God's powerful presence in Finney's life had been too overwhelming to ignore. Whatever you think God wants to do in and through you, Ephesians 3 says God wants to do way more than that. God wants to do way more than you could in your creative little mind right now imagine Him doing in and through you. I'm not saying that, that if you start communing with God that you're going to walk into Allen Engineering or Fabco this week and the whole plant's going to be converted without you saying a word. Maybe that'll happen, but that's not my point. My point is simply this. God wants to do powerful things in and through us for the good of the city and for the glory of His name. God is not glorified by mediocre, mundane, ordinary, Americanized version of Christianity. God wants to see in us the Christianity that came out of the box. Because that's what brings Him glory. The question this morning as we come to an end is, how bad do you want this? Let me ask, do you even, do you even want this? If not, what is it you want so bad? How bad do you want this? Listen, it doesn't matter how many programs or, or things that we try to do for you as pastors. Ultimately, you know what this comes down to? It comes down to a personal decision. We've talked a whole lot, and this is where we have failed as pastors. We've talked a lot about if you want to experience Jesus, you can do it here on Sunday mornings. You can do it in your missional communities. You can do it in your fight club. But listen, you have got to personally walk with God or these things, or you're not going to feel anything. You're not going to experience anything. So how bad do you want it. What this comes down to is you taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth and saying, you know what, I'm tired of a second-hand relationship with Jesus. I'm tired of having to live off Jared's leftovers. Just isn't doing it for me anymore. And then you have to be willing to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to rearrange my life, I'm going to make some changes, and I'm going to do whatever I can to learn to commune with Him. I'm not going to believe the lie, what society tells me, that this is just all that there is. This past week, my daughter... I found a pamphlet that she was given on her first day of school this year. And I want to read it for you real quick. And I want to share with you in closing why this was disturbing to me. And I know this is not a bash of the school. They were just trying to inspire the kids. But here's what it says. It's a new year and a fresh start. This is your chance to be whoever and whatever you want to be. Seriously, anything. Do more of the things that you love. Live your dreams and tell your story. You are so amazingly special. Wishing you the best first of the day in the history of first days. Now, some of you, that you love that. You're like, I wish I would have got that, actually. 
But you know what the problem? Leave that up there, Ryan, if you don't mind. You know what the problem with that is? If my daughter believes that, who's the center of her universe? She is. That's a pitiful existence. I don't know what your parents may have told you or a teacher, but there's this false idea going around right now in the American church that you can live however you want to live and just add a little Jesus on top and we're good to go. That is American Christianity. That is not biblical Christianity. Jesus does not just want a little bit of your life. He wants all of your life. He does not want you to just play the leading role in your own finite story. He wants you to step into his grand and eternal and never-ending, always and forever story. That's what God wants us to do. I wonder what would happen today if we would believe that. I wonder what would happen if we seriously believed more than ever before that God really is calling us to be a part of his fantastic, absolutely unbelievable, redemptive, restorative plan in all of creation. I wonder what would happen if seriously, every person, one by one, if you begin to be serious more than ever before about knowing Jesus and making him known to every man, woman, and child in the city, can you just imagine what would happen? Every year I show a picture of me and... um, my wife, and there were, um, there we are, the Carpenters, the Jacksons, and the Moors, and the reason I did just a few kids, now the rest of us, we have three kids there. The reason I do that is because I want you to stop and think about something. We had no idea whenever we started out on this what was going to happen, what would be a result. We didn't know within a year, who knows, it might fizzle out, and we didn't know what would happen. But I want you to think about this. If God can do everything that he's done with what started with eight people and three kids, what do you think would happen if 220 adults and 70 kids got serious about this? What do you think, God? Can you imagine the people that would be freed from addictions in this city? Can you imagine the marriages that would be restored? Can you imagine how many people would go from just feeling like God's going to drop the hammer on them at any moment to actually waking up and enjoying God more than ever before? I am amazed by what God has done in this church in four years. I'm amazed. I really am. But you know what? I'm not satisfied. I'm not. And the reason I'm not satisfied is because I believe God wants to do way more. I believe he wants to do way more in us and through us. May we embrace that. And may we believe that the best is yet to come. Amen?